Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast about children's development from the Center for Inclusive Childcare. Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast from the Center for Inclusive Childcare. I'm Priscilla Weigel, the Executive Director, and I'm here again for part two of a podcast with two colleagues in the field, Lily Crooks, who is the Director of the Seward Child Care Center in Minneapolis, and Ariel, Ariel Handovit, who is the Director of Early Childhood at the Northside Achievement Zone. And this podcast series, this is the first of a series of podcasts, this is part two, is part of a partnership that um, the Center for Inclusive Child Care and the Minnesota Association for Children's Mental Health, Infant and Early Childhood Division, is um, embarking on related to and supported by their Minnesota Preschool Development Grant. And so these podcasts will be available on um, MACMA's website at MACMA, M-A-C-M-H, org and also on the Center for Inclusive Child Care website as well. And we're really excited to have Lily Cooks, Crooks back here again to talk with Ariel Handovit on just supporting the trauma-aware, trauma-sensitive, trauma-informed early childhood setting. And we touched on our last episode on just some ways that you at Seward, Lily, have really built this really um, comfortable and supportive environment for children. Um, and I think in this podcast, we're really going to focus on your role as leadership in your childcare setting. How are you building in that structure, that infrastructure in your setting to really support your team, helping them feel equipped to do the work that they need to do and also connect with families? So I'm going to hand it off to Ariel and Lily, and um, you two can delve in deeper with some good questions and, and more meat to this topic. Great. Thank you, Priscilla. As, our, as Priscilla said, our last podcast, we really talked about what does it mean to be trauma-aware, trauma-responsive, and trauma-informed in an early childhood setting. And we know none of that can happen without teachers, and none of that can happen without leadership in, in some sort of capacity, whether that's in family child care, being the, the leader of your own um, business, or having some leadership at centers in the role of a director or other ways. And so Lily played that role at Seward as the director of the care there, and really using a comprehensive model that involves um, the teachers and the educators. And it also involves families um, and the director and, and many different layers to it. So Lily, I'm hoping you can kind of start by speaking a little bit about how Seward partners with their educators and having relationships with families and what that looks like as you implement that in your care and, and your role of a director to facilitate some of those opportunities. Sure. So um, before I, I take too much credit for leadership, I have to say that I did inherit or come into a really strong foundation at Seward. Seward's been um, a child care center in the community since 1973, and it was founded by parents as a parent-owned cooperative. So already um, the center was sort of founded on this um, cooperative, collective, and community model. Um, and that has looked different over the years and has um, changed uh, in, in the administrative structure, uh, I'm sorry, the administrative structure, and also um, in the sort of day-to-day, -day, but overall that value of, um, of collective decision-making and democratic leadership has been a huge part of Seward culturally for many years. Um, so something that, that when I stepped in, um, I really wanted to prioritize uh, was making sure that, that 
the connections between parents and teachers were strong and that investment in the center was strong both on the teacher side and on the parent side. So a longstanding tradition and policy at Seward is um, parent involvement during the work week, um, parent volunteer hours where parents are coming in and doing dishes or cleaning toys or uh, delivering lunches. Um, and that isn't just a way to get through the day and make sure our dishes get done. It's also a really important um, way for parents to interact with other children that, that their children get have long days with every day uh, to meet teachers that aren't their child's direct care provider and to sort of learn from staff as they watch staff uh do conflict resolution steps or encouragement versus praise or open-ended toys and loose parts and watching what their children can do um, when they have scaffolding and, and uh, active learning implemented from professionals. So I think that not every child care center can require that from their parents, but that sort of on the ground involvement in the day-to-day has been a major part of community building and relationship building at Seward for many years. And it's, it's both uh, informative and educating for parents, but it also really forms strong relationships um, between teachers and parents. Yeah, I think I've seen that and the value of the parent I see there too, and so feeling valued in their role at the center, feeling like part of a community. I think it really builds that sense of community, knowing that the family is a critical part of that role. And I'm wondering um, if, you know, in some scenarios or some settings, if it might not be possible for parents to be at the site um, on that weekly basis. Do you have any thoughts on what, what can that relationship building look like in that um, scenario or thoughts on how centers might expand something like this or think about this idea? Right. So, so we've definitely struggled with that as far as accessibility goes. As it, it, before, it was a much more stringent requirement. Um, and we recognize that being able to come in during the week, work week is a privilege that not a lot of parents can necessarily um, afford. So, especially in COVID, it kind of forced our hand on discovering new ways to um, maintain that investment and still be safe and not have people here. So we we started doing weekend cleaning shifts, which were great. It People could come in smaller groups, they could meet other parents, they could bring their children, and it's one weekend shift a month. And that was an easy way to have them still be involved and invested, but then they can also include their children. So their children get to see them cleaning their school or show them around the classroom. They can meet other parents in small groups. They can, um, often a teacher will be here working on something. So then they can meet the teacher that way. Um, we really have tried to maintain, um, regular communication with parents via Zoom has been great. <laughs> Zoom is, everyone's tired of Zoom, but man, it's so much easier to have like a quick conference with a parent face-to-face, but not really um, with the with the advent of, of uh, video meetings. And so having those actually more frequently is something we have started doing in this last year where teachers are feeling more comfortable scheduling a, a Zoom meeting for 15 minutes to check in about something that's in the classroom or a parent a parent question. Um, we also 
have been implementing for a long time parent workshops. Um, we're trying to be a little more intentional about that ourselves, but I know that in the past we did invite Priscilla in to talk about um, expulsion, for example, and inclusion and what that means to parents. And it was great because our staff, you know, our staff sort of already had that value of we're not an expulsion center. We're not, um, we, we are working to include children at every level, wherever they are and informing the parents in that way makes them partners in that value and partners in that work. Um, and then also having just parent workshops on raising race conscious children was one we had, and that was not just for staff. It was also for parents or having a workshop about ethics and early childhood for our staff, but then sharing all that information with our parents as well so that they start to become educated in the way their teachers might be thinking about their kids and, and taking care of them and then truly can become partners um, um, in the day-to-day. -day. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I think it, it leads us into the conversation a little bit more about training and how uh, your role as a director, how do you facilitate having training opportunities for staff to engage in deeper learning about child development or topics like trauma-informed care? And I know you, you spoke a little bit about your opportunity for parent workshops and I'm I, I imagine teachers being a part of that as well but are there other opportunities for your educators who have opportunities to learn and, and grow in their practice yes so we have really tried to value professional development um, as a key part not just of growth and licensing requirements, but also as a part of being a professional in the field and um, learning and growing together. And again, community building, if you're all, you all get to go to the same training or a similar training um, and then can discuss it and implement it together. Um, it, it reinforces the learning and it also builds relationships between the staff. So one thing that we just write into our employee policy, for example, is Sewer child care will definitely pay you for 40 hours of professional development every year. And so if that looks like you need to be out for a day to go to a training, that's not PTO, that's your professional development. If you're, you know, going to a weekend training or an evening training, we will obviously pay you up to 40 hours. And, and that's beyond the licensing requirement, but it's valuable. <laughs> we want our teachers to be encouraged and incentivized to go and, and learn, um, from other professionals and then also involving teachers in the training choice uh, is huge. Um, I know that there are great eager to learn classes and I think it's Penn State, Better Kid Care, lots of online, and of course, Center for Inclusive Child Care has lots of great online learning opportunities, but finding other um, professionals in the field who maybe aren't going to have a develop ID for their, for their expertise, but are going to be able to share um, valuable insight. We have had invited some inclusion specialists from St. David's, for example, to just come and basically have a conversation with us for an afternoon. And that was professional development and it was great. And we could troubleshoot specific things, but also hear how another school might address um, accommodating different children's needs. And it felt more like, like the conversations that happen at the lunch table at the Minnesi conference versus the uh, sitting in the um, training room, which is also valuable. <laughs> the sessions are of course valuable, but those conversations with other professionals are so important. And I really try to encourage 
people without overwhelming them um, to seek out those opportunities and also tell me what they want to learn about. Um, I know that I could just book whoever I could find on develop and be like, this is what we're learning today. But um, I try to both respond to parent feedback um, and say, oh man, a lot of parents are saying they wonder why we don't do X, Y, and Z. And then a lot of teachers are saying, I just don't know how to incorporate. I'm just going to use early childhood math. <laughs> parents are wondering if we're doing math. Teachers aren't sure if they're doing math concepts. How convenient. Let's call in, you know, a, a high scope expert in active learning and math concepts and um, letting them tell me what they want to learn. And then my job is to track down a trainer <laughs> and, and make sure that their needs are being met. That's great. That's great though. What I hear you saying, Lily, is there's just really a parallel process in how yes. you actively involve yourself with staff and with parents, just as the teachers and parents do with the children in the classroom. And so um, in, in the classroom at Seward, I've seen many times the teachers really individualizing to that child and what they need during the day. And I, in our last podcast, you talked about um, allowing some flexibility in the schedule. And so if a child says, hey, I'm really interested in um, the Spiders I saw on the playground today, a teacher might go with that theme for the day and talk a little bit more about spiders. And I'm, I'm hearing you say the same thing about your educators and your parents. If you're hearing them say that they want certain topics, you're able to provide that. And so it, it's similar to, we know the things that the child say that need to happen every day and, and to make things successful. And so you have that consistency just as, as licensing and um, other, other, entities outline for us. There's some essential things we need to do to make sure that our trainings are up to date. But outside of that, you provide all other opportunities to individualize and make sure your teachers are getting what they need. And I think that speaks so perfectly to trauma-informed care is really that parallel process and making sure you're modeling um, those best practices, the flexibility, the choice um, for staff. And so then they have the capacity to do that for the children during the day. Yeah. And it also, Lily, sounds like you do a beautiful job of using your listening ears as the director to meet those needs, just as we want to do with the children. Um, I think that the fact that I love the idea, you know, when you were mentioning about just having a conversation with kind of a Q&A, question and answer session with different professionals in the field, because that's a great opportunity. It's something that I think we've been missing because of the pandemic, too, those opportunities to really sit down with other professionals and just say, what are you learning? What are you seeing? Um, you know, it just it adds to your uh, level of professionalism because you've you're reminded you're not alone in this work and that there's a lot of great tools and resources. MACMA being one of those as well. I know that they offer a bunch of webinars online as well, um, you know, on top different topics. But it's it's great to to hear how you're supporting your team. That's great. Thank you. And I mean, part of that is also creating systems for consistent and regular feedback so that we can evaluate what we're doing. Um, teachers, I see, again, I we have a really small center. I'm adjacent to the toddler room. I can hear <laughs> all the way through to the younger preschool classroom most of the time. So a lot of the conversations with teacher, teachers end up being hallway conversations or quick catches in the, in the break room or um, 
But how do we make sure we're also hearing parents and giving them opportunities for feedback? Um, and that can sometimes be the hardest thing because parents are very busy and they have the best intention to be engaged or give feedback or ask questions. But then work was crazy and they're picking up their child last minute. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't always, um, we don't always know what parents are thinking or wondering about. So making sure that we're creating a space that allows parents to take a minute and check in with their child's teacher or feel comfortable emailing anyone in our organization, be it their child's teacher, a board member, or me, and just asking a question or opening a conversation. Um, we do an annual survey, which is uh, helpful, but we really try to create opportunities for that feedback from families too, because especially again in COVID time, um, they weren't coming into the building and that was really hard. And so how do we make sure we're, we're addressing parent concerns and questions as well is something that's always on our minds. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Do you have any examples of how you welcome feedback in the, in the center? And I, I, feel like I remember there was something in the entryway for parents to be able to do that, give that feedback. Do you want to speak more to like some of the systems you have in place for that? Sure. So one of the things um, we did have for a while was a suggestion box, which was just very cute. And um, it was, it was, I liked it theoretically. And then most of the suggestion boxes we got or suggestions we got were, this is great. Thank you. <laughs> or, or <laughs> do, do teachers have enough PTO? Thank you. And that was the sort of <laughs> responses we were getting in the suggestion box, but um, sort of in a, in a macro way, we have um, the general membership meetings um, is something that we do twice a year at our center. Um, and that involves teachers and parents all getting together. We've had them virtually the last couple of times, which was much more convenient, but it is very important to be in person. So we're looking forward to the next in-person one. But while the board creates the agenda, we really open it up two months in advance and say, you know, do you have any concerns or questions? Is there anything you want to make sure that the teachers speak to at the general membership meeting? Is there anything you want to make sure that the board speaks to at the general membership meeting? Um, we also use that time very intentionally for community building. We have realized that it is so difficult and so rare to get everyone together at the same time that we really want to disseminate information quickly and then leave lots of space for teachers to chat with parents in a casual way, for parents to chat with other parents in a casual way, and it just give them some um, you know, some starter questions, some icebreaker questions, and then let them chat. And um, that's been hugely successful, like having a, a built-in requirement of a meeting that is really actually a community event in, in disguise. It's not just about the budget, <laughs> which is important, yeah. but, you know, right. we're yeah. here. I, I hear this idea of you tried something like the suggestion box and it just wasn't give, creating that same sort of feedback that Stuart might have been looking for. And so really leaning into those membership meetings or those twice a year meetings where you have parents and teachers and board members in the same room and really create a space that facilitates good collaboration, good community building. Um, what a great opportunity for things to be maybe a little bit more casual 
for teachers and, and parents and a little stress-free. I know drop off and pick up. Oh my goodness. Teachers are busy trying to make sure every child is getting what they need and parents are trying to head to work. And it just becomes a very, can become a very overwhelming time to try to touch base about other things. And so creating again, an, an environment that supports that feedback between the parents and the, and the family or the parents and the teachers. Um, what a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm, I'm sure that other places uh, operate conferences similarly, but uh, conferences are such a great opportunity as well because we have all of our data that means a lot to us, but parents often have really different questions than we expect. You know, we'll say like, oh, wow, look at all these um, uh, KDIs that are being hit. This is awesome. And then the parents will say like, does my child have friends? And you're like, oh, yes. And that's, you know, they have other questions than, you know, whether or not we're hitting science and technology and, you know, social studies in our daily routines. Um, And so really, sending the the conference report early and then leaving the conference for more like, what do you need to know? What what is your concern or your question or your interest? And our our I realized that I don't think this was intentional, but our conferences are also staggered at different times of year than the general membership meetings. So you'll have this big, large group opportunity to bring something up. And then a few months later, you'll have your child's conference where you can more one-on-one ask a question of your uh, child's teacher. Um, and then a few months later, you'll have another general membership meeting. So having that kind of multiple opportunities in different forms, I think is, I hope is a helpful way for people to feel like feedback is very welcome. That's yeah. lovely. Yeah. That's, Thank you, Lily. That's super important. And I think um, it's just been great to hear, Lily, about the way that you've really built in that hugely important parent connection and the, the opportunity for the educators in your, on your team to really be connected to those families. And I know that as we look at um, whether it's family child care or center-based care, you know, those parent connections are so essential for creating success and to diminish the use of guidance strategies like expulsion and suspension and all of those pieces. Research has shown that when you have those connected families and the, the feeling of all being in partnership on this path for educating and, and helping that child to grow to be this happy, healthy human, um, those, those strategies that can feel like sometimes in some settings, us against them, instead it's a partnership of we're all in this together and what can we do to really support this child. And I'm super excited about the continued um, series that we're going to be taking part part in, in our partnership with MACMA. And um, I just want to remind everybody that on July 29th, we're going to have a Facebook live event and uh, it's going to be the Center for Inclusive Child Care with MACMA. And we're going to have a panel really delving in some more deeply in um, allowing for question and answers, um, more information to come on both our website and MACMA's as well. And um, I'm really grateful to both of you for taking the time today to be on these podcasts. And I look forward to continued partnership in this really important topic. So thank you both for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit us at inclusivechildcare.org.